Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello there and welcome to Untitled Film Podcast with Callum and Johnny. I'm Callum. And I'm Johnny. And this week we will be talking about some very exciting movies. But first I feel like we should address an elephant in A the room. Big elephant in the room. Firstly I want to say it, this that's getting more hello, uh, good morning Vietnam. <laughs> wow, that's not a bad thing. It, it's just struck me that it's getting more Robin Williams all the time. <laughs> But yes, there is an elephant in the room. Uh, this is a remake. This is a remake. You may have noticed on our socials that we had last week's episode was cancelled. Uh, and that was because we recorded the whole thing. And for some reason, about five minutes in, uh, the software that we used started to, shall I say, fuck up. It's probably the only way to describe it. And completely ruined the whole episode. And it sounded like we were uh, Max Hedrum from the 80s. There was a lot of sort of... Tropes! 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 Particularly from you, because you'd already said tropes about a million times. So, this is a remake. This is a remake of that episode. So that is the elephant in the room. The other one is that I'm actually Johnny and he's Callum. Yes, and that will get more and more confusing. Like, who who am I? What is my name? It's an existential crisis waiting to happen, basically. It really is. Um, We also have some other exciting news. We have got a collab episode coming up with a big supporter of the channel, Mr... What's his name? Mr. Dog Dog Brain Brain. Videos. Mm. Uh, so he will be joining us for a very special Christmas episode a bit closer to Crimbo. Uh, I can't decide if it's going to be next week or the week after. That has been recorded. It's in the can. And it's uh, going to be fun, very funny, very exciting. It is indeed. And that brings us on nicely, I think, to this week's question. Now, where did we put this week's question? 
It is on our social media pages, which, as always, is Untitled Film Podcast on Instagram and on Facebook. And the question this week is one I put out. It was laughably poor how I put it out. It was a very low-res image with very poor writing, so I don't... The wrong colour. The wrong colour. He's never going to be allowed... The wrong colour, Dad. Wrong colour, Dad. Uh, He's never, ever going to be allowed near... um, A computer. ...graphic again. Never again. Never again. But the question was, what is the worst film made by the best director or a director that you really like? Uh, so the one I used as my example was David Lynch's Dune. It's a total mess, even with Sting wearing silver wing-fronted Y-fronts. The only thing I would say with that is, A, I actually like the lead performance from... Kyle McLaughlin. I just like Kyle McLaughlin. And also... I don't think that's the only film that David Lynch ever made that's a complete mess. No, I think all Lost of his highways, films... Yeah, they're are, really, but yeah, they're, yeah. they're a lot more ambitious and crazy and cool and weird. This one is... A lot a, more ambitious than a, like, a low-budget sci-fi movie. Oh, it was huge budget for the time. Well, it was, yeah, but it feels low-budget. <laughs> I mean, it, it looks pretty shonky in a lot <laughs> of ways, but okay. I mean, in 1984 money, it was made by, for 30 or $40 million, which is... Like yeah. 120 equivalent. I, I don't know inflation, but a that's big. still not huge. But it still wasn't like the biggest budget. Well, it, it was wasn't a Star Wars. Budget. No, exactly. But it's a reasonable budget for that film. Yeah, but well, is it though? Because that film, as we're now finding out, needed to be two books and incredibly high budget to make it work. So, or two books, two films. Sorry, and an incredibly high budget to make it work. So, actually, maybe it. You know, maybe you heard it right all along. Um, but no, and. I will give you my example. Not that it was an example. We also have an answer from Dog Brain Videos on that. We do indeed. But my answer was... Um, I've actually got two from the same director. Ooh. Uh, Panic Room and Benjamin Button. Ah, yes. Good, good uh, choices. Both from uh, Mr. David Fincher, who's probably, in my opinion, the best working director currently there's working. certainly a good argument to be made there. Um, I think he's tight, he's cinematically brilliant, he knows a good script. I'm, he's one of my favourite directors. Um, but Panic Room's a bit of a mess. It's, it's watchable, but it's a bit of a mess. Benjamin Button is hokey Oscar bait. It's actually not a bad movie, like Nuts and Bolts, in a way. And it obviously, did it win the Oscar? It certainly was nominated. It was nominated for a whole load. I don't think it won any of its major ones. No, but I think ones, it got a, a million few technical, technical ones. ones. Yeah. But yeah, I just thought it was cheesy, hokey rubbish and stupid. Um, whereas like, what I want him doing is um, like crime or murder or uh, social networks being created. And Panic Room is quite solid and dependable. But it's, but it's not that's all a it Dave is. Adventure movie. It's a solid... Thriller. Yeah, yeah. And that, that's about it. It is not Seven or The no. Social Network or you know, any of these great movies that he's done over the years. And from Dog Brain Videos, his uh, answer to this question was Oz the Great and Powerful. He's a huge Sam Raimi fan. I mean, you can't stop him talking about Sam Raimi if he starts. But he that was his answer. And actually, I think I turned it off at about half an hour in. Yeah, I've not watched it. It's not good. Although, I mean... We can argue about Evil Dead 2 until the cows come no, home. No, we can't. It's a masterpiece. <laughs> we, we absolutely cannot ar- argue about Evil Dead 2. Ah, Evil Dead 2 is one of up. the greatest films <laughs> made. 
especially in its in its subgenre. No, we absolutely can't <laughs> argue about that. There's, there's no argument there. What, what argument you could you make so. about Evil Dead Two? Genuinely, <laughs> none. I just knew it'd wind you up. <laughs> Evil Dead Three, though. Army of Darkness, I can understand people not... Army of Darkness is a mess. ...not digging. I, I find it a lot of fun, but... It um, is fun, but it's it's just a weird, high-budget mess. But, but anyway... I certainly wouldn't defend it in the no, way no, I would Evil Dead 2. I mean, Evil Dead 2 is the better of the three... It was the, be- the, the best, best of the three, yeah. yeah. The better makes it sound like the other two are not good, which... Mm, Army Son of Darkness... Of mixed. Anyway. Um, <laughs> after that little wind-up, um, we should now move on to... The news. We're already done. Already finished. Did you turn me down? No, I haven't. I've actually turned myself down because I thought it'd be funnier to turn myself down than turn you down. But now I've turned you off. Right. So there is some big, 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 big news that was new last week and it is still i think important and big news still very relevant you're yeah you, no one can hear you oh you you have turned me down i have now why because i thought we'd be funny <laughs> i finished my bit i finished my thing well it's punishment though what you know the, the way you treat me <laughs> is is deserved and i think all the listeners out there I um, agree. It's only me and sweatshop workers that have it this bad. <laughs> anyway. You still managed to hit your microphone. <laughs> Actually, I didn't. You're shaking the table. Oh, it's because I've got my arm on the table. Well, exactly. Loser. <laughs> anyway. Um, so, yes. Disney. Biggest media company in the world. Um, it's 71, I think it was. The, the information is not as fresh in my head as it was last week. The 71-year-old um, Bob Eisner retired two years ago and went off to play probably golf. That's what virtually retired people do, I think, in America. Yeah. Especially if they're in, in Florida. Um, and, yeah, he went to do that. And Bob Chesapeake, I want to say his name is. Anyway, another Bob took over. Uh, two years later, that Bob is out, and Bob Iger is back, pulled from the jaws of retirement, restored to the lofty heights of running the biggest media conglomerate in the world, which he pretty much made the biggest media conglomerate. Um, after quite a long period of Michael Eisner... Um, what's the best way to describe Michael Eisner as rain? Michael Eisner's kind of expansion but in a, maybe an ADHD kind of way. He kind of, so Michael Eisner, when he was in charge of Disney, took over a Disney that was was struggling a bit, rebuilt the animation back up from after the 80s, which was awful, but also launched Euro Disney, Disney in Japan, um, and kind of tried to expand like the part business a lot and do all these things. But he also kind of tried to do them all a bit on the cheap because he wanted to do lots of things instead of concentrating on one or two big things. And some had success, some didn't. And the company the company kind of fixed itself from being at a really low ebb, but it never quite worked. He also signed up Pixar initially, but also then fell out with Pixar big time. 
um, and Bob Eisner came in. And one of his first things when Bob Eisner came in was to buy Disney. Uh, was to buy Pixar. Um, so he kind of really shored up the future of Disney's animation because let's be honest, the majority of the well, obviously there has been a couple of biggies now, but for a long period of time, the majority of the animation money as animation tended to move towards digital was coming from Pixar. Um, and then you obviously got some big movies like Frozen and stuff, which kind of then came from Disney. But again, a lot of that stuff came from Pixar. A lot of the, the crews and things came over from Pixar. He then um, bought Marvel, which I don't think we need to go into too much detail on. Uh, it was an incredibly smart move. At the time, everyone was like, why has this guy spent all this money on this little rinky-dink company that only ever has made a couple of successful, like, semi-successful franchises and they've both been sold off to other things? Well... <laughs> they were proven wrong. Here we are. And then kind of his, one of his last big acquisitions was Star Wars. Um, again, Star Wars, people were like, why have you paid that much for Star Wars? What are you going to be able to do? How much money can you make out of one more trilogy? Well, people didn't realise he was going to make 7,000 TV series, um, 900 movies in between the, the trilogy, rebuild half the theme parks with a giant Star Wars area and make it into a giant money-making machine. And that he was very singly focused on these things. But the other thing that he was very good at doing was steering the company through, should we say, the modern world? Um, obviously... If you look back at some of Disney's history, some of it's a bit sketchy, pretty much erased that from history <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, got rid of a lot of things that are questionable from its past and kind of, you know, moved and grew the company, made it, dare I say, woke, although I hate that term, um, and kind of modernised it. And that is where Bob number two failed, evidently. Uh, he came in and um, there was a massive... Um, obviously, Florida is pretty Republican in most, uh, well, not in most areas, but it is, you know, it, uh, Republicans seem to win uh, elections down in the bayou. Uh, actually, that's not the bayou, is it? It is the bayou is uh, that's New Orleans. Uh, New Orleans, yeah. What is, is it? What are the swamps down there called? Um, Everglades. Uh, yes. Florida Everglades, in the Everglades. And um, there was a big thing this year where the... Um, I don't know if it was the governor, but some of the politicians anyway in um, Florida were trying to bring in um, rules which kind of forbid the teaching of um, different uh, non-cis lifestyles and various other things that were pretty anti-LBGTQ+. Um, and Disney kind of shat the bed on their response to it, shall we say, um, where they tried to appease both camps and appease no one. And obviously, as the biggest employer in the state, should have just said, fuck you, government. You know, we are a multicultural, LGBTQ positive company and fuck you. Uh, and didn't. And it massively scarred the company. Lots of really valuable and good employees left and a lot of other really good and valuable employees spoke out. Um, it kind of, you know, damaged it in the eyes of, um, you know, many of their kind of core audience and didn't really win any favours with the other side either because they didn't really fully support that too. So, um Instead of doing the right thing, they fudged the, bat, the wrong thing and uh, ends up making no one happy. So it kind of, this has been dripping on. He's never really managed to get on top of it. And yeah, he's kind of been ousted and Eisner is back. So that's that piece of news. Very exciting. And that always seems to happen when 
people take a wishy-washy middle ground approach. They end up pleasing no one. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Just do, I think sometimes in life doing the, the right thing is the hard thing. But I think in the end, nine out of ten times you're rewarded for it. And they should have just done the right thing. Absolutely. Uh, instead of fudging something that, yeah, appease no one. Um, but I mean, I'm not going to say I'm like the uh, the full, um, what's the word? I don't think I have the, um, you know, the full understanding of the complete political situation. And obviously I'm not LGBTQ+, although I would like to say I'm an ally. Um, but yeah, so from that point of view, you know, I, I I don't know the full picture, but that's, yeah, what I got from it. And I think it sounds a good thing that Eisner is back. Yes, very much so. Eisner. Um, Iger. Iger. Eisner was uh, is the 90s Michael yes. Eisner. <laughs> Similar names. Yes. Cool. But yeah. So that's my piece of news. I'm just going to do one piece this week because that was quite a long piece. Uh, Callum, what are yours? Well, first one is a fairly sad one, I'm afraid. Um, the B-movie filmmaker Albert Pyun has died. Uh, you might not know him from his name, but he is the director of... Do you remember the 90s Captain America film where he had ears stuck onto <laughs> his helmet? I do. The one that was like contractually made so someone didn't lose their... Didn't um, lose the rights. Yeah, exactly. And uh, he also is the director of Cyborg, which was one of the first starring roles for Jean-Claude Van Damme. It sort of kicked off his career. He was known for being fairly ambitious within his kind of unambitious realm where other directors would go to a desert, stick some lads in leather, make a Mad Max ripoff, in all shot in wide angle and then call it a day. He tried to, you know, he'd try and find these weird locations, get stuck in there with the fight scenes. So he, within his very unambitious realm of the B-movies that he made in the early to mid-90s, he tried to kind of... He's a bit Corman-esque in a yeah, way. kick his way out of the box a bit. And this um, something that people knew was coming because his wife announced several days ago that... Um, you know, that he is dying, he he has dementia and multiple sclerosis, and he's had it for many years. And because he's had it for many years, they sort of knew that it was within this year, 2022, the latter half of 2022, 20, uh, that he was, this was going to be his last six months or so. And so his wife put out a call on social media to ask him, uh, ask um, fans to send messages to him, telling them their favourite moments. And the uh, YouTube channel Red Letter Media made a, a special episode on and they they kind of deal and that kind of thing they they do videos on trash movies and they made a special episode reviewing cyborg and one of his other films and apparently it's been cheer- it before he died it cheered him up um no end so he's been survived by his wife he died at the age of 69 and he you know it's true champion of that kind of cinema so it's a sad loss for b-movie fans such as myself who like that kind of thing trashy sort of thing uh, so that's very sad. And uh, yes, my second piece of news is not nearly as sad. Um, it's the projected box office opening weekend, because I am a box office fan, as people are probably starting to learn, that Avatar The Way of the Water, or the, sorry, The Way of Water, is on track to open to around 150 to $175 million, which while or about double the opening weekend of the first film, which is in the 77 range, the true strength of the first film's box office was not in its huge opening weekend. It wasn't, it was pretty tepid. It was that it just kept sticking around. Yeah, people went to go and see it because they were like this first, this 
visual feast they'd never seen before and proper first proper use of 3D, etc. Yes. Yeah. And so it ended up making about 10 times its opening weekend. Okay. So um, what interests me about this is I feel like if I went on the street and asked 50 people, did you know there's a new Avatar movie coming out next month or this month, whenever it's coming out? Is it coming out Boxing Day? Uh, so it would be next month. Well, this month, probably when the podcast oh, comes out. Oh, probably when the podcast airs, yes. Yeah. Um, I don't think that a huge amount of people would say, I know that's coming out. Yeah, no, I think that's true. And I actually think that is reflected a little bit in 150 million, because that sounds very big, but we're in a realm It's not now. Marvel big. It's not Marvel big. Um, Cap, uh, so, um, Wakanda Forever just opened to in the 180 range, and mm. that was lower than Black, Black Panther 1, which was 200. So if it's only... 150 to 175, it's going to have to really rely on legs. And are those legs going to be there this time around? Yeah. Possibly I'm, not. I mean, part of me wonders, well, maybe they've got the, the marketing machine going a bit earlier and a bit quicker in the States as well. Maybe it will, that will come. Um, but yeah, I haven't really seen much. Like Top Gun, Maverick, which obviously is biggest movie of the year so far, I think. Yes, it is. Um, I don't know if Wakanda Forever may overtake it, but they're both, yeah, it's going to, they're both biggies. But I knew that was coming a long way out. Like there was, so I remember, I watched Formula One, uh, and I remember Tom Cruise being on the Formula One last year, laying the groundwork for it, like doing with some, like doing some pre-race stuff, driving around with the, the, the presenters and things in like cars and doing like pretend dog fights and him doing, and them all doing like, I feel the need for speed and all these things and kind of intercut with bits of it. And then I remember he was he was on like talk shows and things for months in advance. And I haven't seen Sam Worthington about. I haven't seen Zoe Saldana and stuff. Like I have just haven't seen this stuff going on. So also the true test will be in its legs, and that depends if people like it. Um, mm. We've had two films that cinema score is the true indicator of how much people like it. Not IMDb, not Rotten Tomatoes, because those are obviously brigaded quite often. If a film is deemed too woke, it will be. You know, nonsense like that. Well, It'll but that happens brigaded. with cinema score as well. Oh, it's not. Now, I was perfect. watching some quite interesting stuff about the new Disney film Strange Worlds. Yes, and obviously that has a, a quite a central LGBTQ yes, plus character, and like the cinema score is quite low. It's oh, only really? like a C plus or something. Oh, and a lot of that is because of because of that. There's oh. a lot of where it's been. Because the whole point, obviously, is for them to work out what they how they think it will do at the box yes. office. And obviously, it's only meant to be like a 7 out of 10 movie anyway. But a lot of... But these films are often rated higher because most people go to cinema just to see a movie. Yeah, but the cinema score um, has been kind of pulled down, actually, by the fact a lot of people went, well, oh, no, I don't really want my kids seeing that or and stuff. Oh, that's uh, a shame. Unfortunately, yeah. Um, very indicative. But yeah, anyway, so I think those it does bring those things down, but you don't probably get those campaigns from, like, right-wing mental yeah, groups, the kind of people that... It's harder, um, Elon Musk seems to be trying to promote at the moment so on Twitter. A good example would be The Woman King, um, which opened several months ago. It got an A-plus cinema score, which was reflected in its quite leggy box office mm. only open to about 19 million it managed to get over 60 or 70 which for a film with 19 million that's kind of a lot higher than it was con- uh, thought that it would get whereas on imdb and on rotten tomatoes and on metacritic it was really plummeting down to the 3.2 and the 
2.5 and IMDb of 5.6 or something ridiculous yeah. like that. We often find things that obviously like Mamma Mia and stuff like that get high Sydney scores because it's like a B minus, even if the critics give it an F because they, you know, it's, it's about what the audience is yeah. thinking and, and how much money it's going to make and how much fun people have as well as how good it is. And, and yeah, it, there it are other reasons. Totally depends it. on whether it's a hit with its target audience. Mm-hmm. And if, if they think they like it, they'll tell their friends, they'll come back. Well, I suppose the whole point of Avatar is that every single person, and it's like it's out there. They are designed that every it hits every quadrant and blah blah blah. But whether it will, I don't know. Whether it's it's certainly going to so be a, long again. a test of endurance because um, that film opened in two thousand and eight. And speaking over the comical snoring sounds, um, so will people still have the patience? Still care? But we'll see. In this modern world of people like looking at their mobile phones every five seconds and blah, 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 you know, Netflix TV show, stop it when you want after 30 minute chunks and stuff. Do people want a three and a half hour epic as well? Well, that's that's certainly going to be the test. Because I mean, even like people when Endgame and stuff came out, which, you know, people were invested in that shit. You know, they've been building that audience for 10 years. There's not been this gap. Literally the whole, pretty much the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe has happened in the time since the first one. I think maybe the Hulk come out, but pretty much the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe has come and gone within the time that since the first Avatar. It's, no, that's absolutely right, because it was uh, 2008 was Avatar and, yeah. uh, and Iron Man, which kicked it off, was 2008. Yeah, so literally, like, pretty much. And even a film that was generally well-liked, like The Batman, struggles to find, kind of, push itself to legs. It well, did okay. I think that was R-rated, wasn't it? It was. And it, I think yes, that probably R-rated. held it back, whereas this is designed a bit more for families and blah, blah, blah. Um, you can take your little nippers to this one. Well, and it's got Cliff Curtis in it, so it's going to be a billion-dollar hit. <laughs> we people love Cliff Curtis. And Sam Worthington. Oh, Sam Worthington. You know, cares? that massive, massive guy who, you know, they put in loads of films for about <laughs> two years and every single one of them was a flop and, that was and critically panned. People realised, I think we overestimated this investment. Yeah. There are certain people that happens with, they're like, we're going to make this guy a thing. And people are like, we don't want this guy to be a thing. Absolutely. But yeah. But no, that is uh, an interesting piece of news and a piece of news that sickens me. (laughs) It's a bit overreach. It almost sickens me as much as Matt Hancock in the jungle, but that's another story. Yeah, that that is unfortunate. Fuck that guy. Right, anyway. (laughs) (laughs) On to our films of the week. Number one. I don't think if we even said what our films are yet. We haven't. Uh, so let's set those up right now. Um, we're doing two biopics, two music... Uh, no, no, not two music. Two comedy-based biopics. One of them is Al, the... the uh, Sorry, Weird, the, uh, the Al Yankovic story. I think that's the title. Uh, the other one is A Futile and Stupid Gesture. The first, of course, is about Weird Al, his ascent, and that's our new movie, and it's sort of a parody of biopics. The second one is slightly more of a straight-laced biopic with punches of comedy in it because it's about the creation of National Lampoon. And that's a slightly older movie, although it's still very recent. And that one is on Netflix for anyone to find. Yeah, they're both only... I mean, it's only five years old, I would say, 2017, I feel like. In that I range. I watched it when I was in China, maybe. But yeah, it's about 2017. Um, so yeah, those are our movies. And as you rightly say, they are both biopics both you know maybe not kind of like straight walk the line style biopics uh, and have different degrees of um surrealness and jokiness and kind of truth and lies and 
everything in between. mixed up in there. So, let's start out with Weird. Do you want to tell us about Weird? Sure, I'll take it. Weird. Weird is... So, Weird, the Al Yankovic story, is the biopic about the ascent of Weird Al Yankovic, the guy that, if you have an internet connection, if you have ever been on YouTube, you've seen his parody songs. He's been around forever, for the longest time, um, and he got a start in the early 80s. And here he's played by Daniel Radcliffe as Weird Al, and it's about his rise to the top. He uh, uh, making his first parody songs, getting mentored by Dr. Demento, who's a big sort of uh, funny guy on the radio at the time. And then it starts mixing in parody and nonsense into that. So he has a lurid affair with a famous pop star. I don't think it's a spoiler to say that it's Madonna. But it's in the trailer. It's in the trailer. And then starts just kind of layering on nonsense, talking about his life fighting drug kingpins and life of crime and the kind of going through all the steps that you would expect in a parody of a biopic, including the ascents, the buying the mansion, the drugs, the fighting, the infighting, and the fall. So, Johnny, what did you think of the weird, the Al Yankovic story? Yeah, it was all right. Yeah, it, it's hard to get too enthusiastic about this one. I, I enjoyed it. It was fun. But, so, backstory of it is, it started off as a Funny or Die short that was made into a Funny or Die movie. And every time that happens, it feels a little bit like it runs out of momentum. Um, it's the same thing that you, they always used to get when they tried to make SNL shorts into movies. They often just ran out of the bar, say the Blues Brothers and a couple that work. They kind of just used to run out of momentum pretty quickly. Um, it's like this episode. <laughs> I think it's just pure magic. Pure magic. Um, anyway, and it, yeah, uh, it works on some level i think it's funny daniel radcliffe is daniel radcliffe is great um he is really funny um i really like his version of al has an all-star kind of guesting cast um there are some really some quite funny moments but there's also some quite long and tedious moments so i to, to kind of pinpoint my example of where i think it's kind of pulls too long um the first time he starts singing the first time he kind of gets this inspiration to um start singing um parody songs although it's something he's wanted to do all his life but the first time he kind of gets inspiration is he hears my sharona on the radio and then he's looking at some baloney's making his, his roommates some some baloney sandwiches and it takes him like five minutes to go from looking at some baloney to going, my Bologna, my, and it's something that could have happened in like a minute and a half, and that's just the whole film all the way through. Um, also, obviously, it's slightly based on a true story, ever so slightly, um, but it kind of the thing it reminded me of most is Dewey Cox, um, the the movie Dewey Cox. For those that you don't know, came out about two thousand seven. I want to say two thousand eight. It does live its and in its, its shadow. Yeah, and it's it's John C. Riley movie um, where it's basically a heavy parody on Walk the Line, but it has lots of other kind of things in, imposed on it. And obviously, it's a fake character as opposed to a you know real person that it's based on. But it is just kind of like over the top and silly and stuff. And there's something that just feels, and it's something that's in both of these. 
it's daddy issues, like daddy issues at its core. And in the Dewey Cox, there's this running joke of the wrong kid died. The wrong kid died. The wrong kid died. And literally halfway through both of these films, me and Callum turned to each other and just went, the wrong kid died. Because it, it just steals that so much. Um, so while I... You know, it was, and it's, it's it's nice and it's not too long. It's about maybe an hour and forty five in that like neighbourhood, in that range. So reasonably, you know, reasonable length. Um, Daniel Radcliffe's good. Bill Hader's good. You know, all these kind of extra people are good in it. Um, I think you mean Rain Wilson, but well, Bill Hader is in it as well, isn't he? Uh, Rain Wilson is Doctor. Yeah, yeah, but Bill Hader is. Oh yes, the he's record the exec. Uh, record exec. Yes, he is. Um, but yeah, it, it, it kind of it feels cheap. It feels kind of. Uh, for the, I don't know if any of you saw they they did they had Johnny Depp playing Donald Trump about the time that Donald Trump was running for election doing like an alter the deal movie, and that was only an hour long I think, and that felt too long. Um, and uh, you know, and it, it kind of stretches the joke out, makes up this silly fake history, and it while it's funny in moments, it never kind of lives up to its expectations. And that's absolutely the one of the great sins is that firstly it feels very cheap as you said. And familiarity, um, because as you mentioned, the problem is is that it lives in the shadow of a far better, far slicker, far far higher budgeted music parody already, which is Dewey Cox, uh, Walk Hard, The Dewey Cox Story. But of course, that film lived in its own shadow of um, Walk the Line. Um, You know, that film was the kind of big one to parody, and I'm only going to use this word once because I overused it when we made this the first time, the tropes, 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 tropes tropes of those films. And those tropes. So, you know, it it lives in the shadow of the daddy issues, of the uh, drug addiction. There's a scene here where um, Weird Al goes to a party and it's full of all the wacky celebrities of the 1980s, so Devo, uh, Elvira, yeah, exactly, and they're all played by actors who are really super, super, super famous, and that's the big joke, which is a joke that is familiar if you've seen Walk Hard, because that's the joke whenever they meet the Beatles, um, Elvis. They're all played by super famous people, yeah. which was is played straight in movies like um, Walk the Line, where not necessarily Walk the Line, but there's always a moment where he'll meet. His, his, idol, he- his yeah. idol or his hero in all of these movies. And it's usually played by a nice, fun cameo by a, a former Oscar-winning actor. So in the end, there's only so much mileage you can get out of parodying something that's already played in such a familiar fashion and living under the shadow of a better parody. So it li- lives under a double parody. And then the cheapness doesn't help. Because anytime something could be elevated by the fact that they've got this wacky set piece or this wacky thing, like, okay, he goes to work in his dad's factory, which is often a thing. He gives up the pop star life, goes to the factory. <laughs> and the factory is just like one half set. Like yeah. he stands which in front of the machine. Of Zoolander. Yeah, where he goes down the mines. <laughs> yeah. But even then, Zoolander, that, that mine set looked really good. Yeah, and, then, and then the bar that they go to afterwards where his pop... It's disapproving of him. That looks good. This one looks like they've just redressed an old set and put a bit of machinery in it. Do you know what it looks like? It looks like a set, a bad set, out of, um, like, the first Austin Powers movie or something. It really does. It looks like Dr. Evil's left. Yeah, but but, but on half the budget. And 
this is clearly a problem because they can have to stretch out these kind of, they have about four sets in the movie. Mm. They've got the factory, they've got a, a couple of big concert sets. They well, it's got, just one set and they just roll different things on there yeah, for exactly. the concert. Uh, they've the, got the... They've got the, the house. The house, the, the, uh, the, the mansion <laughs> and the house that he grew up in. So there's about maybe 10 oh, or so oh, sets Don't forget throughout. there's that really high budget set for the warehouse where the drug lords are. Which probably was the same set as the factory. Yeah, it almost certainly and was. <laughs> each scene seems like it goes on for about 10 minutes because it's like, well, we're not moving from here. No. This is all our money. And we're not moving the camera either. We're not moving the camera. <laughs> I mean, we spent, you know, a, a pretty penny on Evan Rachel Woods, Daniel Radcliffe and Rain <laughs> Wilson. And, you know, that's pretty much it, guys. I think somebody talks about Rain Wilson today. Someone else talked about Rain Wilson. We talked about Rain Wilson because she's in Jingle All the Way. Oh, oh yeah, interesting. We're, yeah, anyway, yeah. On another on another note. On another topic. <laughs> but yeah, but no, um, yeah. So no, it's uh, yeah, it, it it really, yeah, it, yeah, it's fine. It but, is fine. <laughs> And um, this will be a bigger problem in the next movie because this is a parody. It doesn't really matter, but the costumes and the the (laughs) fake wigs and stuff, they do look awful. But here you sort of brush it aside because it doesn't matter in this film. It will be a problem in the next film. And I think that ties us up nicely for an advert break. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. And welcome back. Um, I think it's time that we dive into... A Futile and Stupid Gesture. Which is a 2017 film about the life of Doug Kenny. So Doug Kenny was the creator of National Lampoon. National Lampoon, for those that don't know, was a laugh rag, as they like to call them. Uh, It was kind of like a a step forward from a slightly higher brow thing from... Um, Mad Magazine, which was big in the States. Uh, for those of us in the UK, it's kind of similar to Private Eye. I think they, there's a lot of overlap, actually, in a lot of the styles of the way things are done. Um, although the, the one thing I would say with Private Eye in the UK is it does actually have some genuine hard-hitting journalism in it buried at the back pages, but that's another story. But yeah, um, and he it starts off with him pretty much starts off with him at university. Um, There is a weird narrative crux of like a future version of himself talking back to the past that kind of goes through it. And it starts off with him at at Harvard, at work on the Harvard Lampoon, which is where the idea for National Lampoon came from. So him and his friend, who I've forgotten his name, 
that is played by Donald Gleeson. Um, he, they, they both basically run um, the Harvard Lampoon while they're there, make a huge success of it, and make it a ton of money by making a parody book based on Lord of the Rings uh, called, I think, Board of the Rings? Yes, Board of the Rings. Board of the Rings, uh, which actually becomes a massive seller nationwide. And they think, they turn around and with some convincing think, you know what, I think we could make a weekly magazine out of this. So they move to New York, set up on, set up on Madison Avenue, and bring in a whole cast of comedy geniuses one would say uh when you actually look down the list of people and what they were involved in before and after national lampoon um there's there's some some british people that were involved in like spike milligan and mulligan show and that kind of thing there um were people who ended up going on to snl people that ended up writing big movies people that ended up directing big comedy movies including the national lampoon movies um, and he makes, obviously, a success of that magazine. He then goes on and makes a success of a radio show uh, where there was a whole host, a whole host, a whole <laughs> cast of people who would become comedy greats like Chevy Chase, um, who were involved in, and then went on to make movies um, with John Belushi, like Animal House, and finally Caddyshack. Um, so, yeah, it was, it's a movie and a biopic about his life. What did you think, Callum? Well... My biggest issue with it was just how safe it was. So there, I think there's a, a few issues there. Firstly, they really want to pay tribute to this guy. Um, everyone involved, uh, and the director is David Wayne, who did... Uh, be, I always forget the exact title of this, but uh, Wet Hot American Summer, mm-hmm. which was a very surreal and odd film. Um, and John Benjamin plays a can of beans, I think. Yes, Exactly. Uh, so the issue with this whole film is that it just feels too safe. It's far too safe for its own good. Um, they clearly want to pay tribute to this guy. So they, they, ha- they, moment, they uh, introduce moments of uh, surrealness. So, for example, uh, like Johnny set up, that you see a future version of uh, this guy looking back over his life, which suggests that maybe they might introduce moments of uh, sur- surrealness. Uh, moments of weirdness, moments that might uh, shock you. But they, that, other than that wraparound that they bring in, it just becomes a regular biopic, which becomes an issue, because if they're not going to play it weird, then it has to rely on its quality on its own as a biopic. So that, And then you start looking at things like, okay, well, it's just a straight biopic. It follows the nuts and bolts, the ascent, the drug addictions... The break, the breakdowns, the the freakouts, and at that, at best, it's only okay. And because it's only okay, you find yourself kind of struggling to latch on to something that's that's truly special. And if they introduce more surrealness, like a uh, a good example would be American Splendor, the uh, film about Harvey Picard, which just went in full tilt with how surreal, how odd, how unusual it was. And because it was an indie film that wasn't, like, this is produced by Netflix, and Netflix has certain constraints of what cameras you can use. All of them end up looking quite mechanically similar. And it had that freedom to be weird, but also on its own terms as an independent film and a tribute. Or it could have done something like Bob Dylan's I'm Not There, which introduced different actors, crazy stuff, and made you feel like, yes, this is a, uh, this is a biopic that, I imagine, um, not knowing Bob Dylan, I imagine he'd approve of because it mirrors his career 
And for something as revolutionary and evolutionary as this magazine, um, as National Lampoon magazine, which often broke the format, uh, there's a scene, for example, where um, you look at one of the comics that they make, and in that comic panel, the, the uh, subjects of the panel keep pointing up and out at different panels. I wanted to see that, but in film form, because it seems like that's what the magazine deserved. But instead, we got a fairly straight biopic. And when it's a fairly straight biopic, you just look at mechanical nuts and bolts. Like, uh, cinematography's okay. Acting is mostly good. The wigs and costumes, and this is where it's a problem, they do re look really bad, and it just looks cheap. And I think all of those things, it's just an unfortunate series of events, and not the Lemony Snicket film, <laughs> which um, collides to make something that ends up not being very interesting. And in a way, it's a lot more disappointing than the Al Yankovic movie, which never really intended to enlighten or amuse, um, do anything other than just amuse and entertain and just be a bit silly. This film has loftier goals, and it kind of stumbles on them. Yeah, I would agree. I think, you know, it, it, I, it's an interesting story. And there are some funny bits. And a lot of what's funny is what they say, because they're funny, interesting people saying funny, interesting things. But it, it kind of doesn't know what it wants to be. One minute it's surreal and all over the place. Um, and then the next minute it's playing a straight biopic. And as you say, I think a lot of that comes from the fact that people really respected him, who made it, and wanted him... Um, to, you know, be, um, what's the word looking for? Kind of be remembered in a, very fondly and in a nice way yes. and, and, and talk, you know, talk about him nicely. But also they're comedians and they're trying to make a comic movie. And I also think there's budgetary constraints involved as well. They probably couldn't afford to do some of the most maybe surreal bits they wanted to do. Again, I think they were limited with sets. I think they were limited with costumes. And maybe that's why I thought they had to be a bit funny and couldn't do a straight biopic because they thought, oh, well, if we've got these costumes, people aren't going to believe it if we try and make it too straight. So, again, I think that for whatever reason, it was just a bit all over the place and a bit of a mess. So while I enjoy it and quite like it and think it's quite funny in points and I think it is an interesting character and it's an interesting story to tell, um, yeah, there is a, a hole that you could drive a bus through in it. You can certainly see how they've been hamstrung at every corner where they want to do something, but it's just something they, they can't do. And it's only in those moments where they do allow themselves to be a bit silly and um, play with the format somewhat that it really comes alive. So there's a really good joke at one point where... Someone says, um, um, uh, the, the, I know that none of these actors look like, because they, they introduce all the famous people, Chevy Chase, Bill Murray. Um, I know that none of these actors look like these people, but hey, do you think that actor looks like me when I was 27? Hey, do, do you believe that he's 27? Yeah, do you think Bill Hader's... Uh, Not Bill Hader. Um, oh. What's his name? Uh, Will Forte. Will Forte. And I really like Will Forte as well. Like He's a really good actor, and I think he plays the role really well. He's very committed. He's very committed to selling it. And he's not really known for drama. So some of those later scenes that become more dramatic, where he has to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with someone like Donald Gleeson, who is more acquitted and committed to, to uh, dramatic acting. You know, he, he's, he stands toe-to-toe -to -toe with him. And, you know, you wouldn't know that he isn't a, isn't a dramatic actor. It's no, very good. it's really believable. And, yeah, I think I really enjoyed it. Just as a whole, I thought it was a really enjoyable, fun piece but that had some big holes in it unfortunately i think missed opportunity would be the best word yeah which i think i would argue is the name of the game for both movies, for both movies absolutely 
Um, so last week, I guessed your score for both movies dead on. Yes, you did. Um, and then for this recording of this, first time round, I guessed your score dead on. Yes, now, I'm not going to do it again this time uh, because I assume your score's the same. It is the same. Um, but, yeah, just want to put that out there because coming up in our Christmas episode, I also do the same thing again. And it, it's getting a little spooky. Well, it's um, not spooky. You're just fucking predictable. <laughs> Maybe. Um, but anyway. At least I'm consistent. Yeah, if you say so. <laughs> Three star the terror in The Guardian. That's yeah, but consistent. they're the only paper that gave it that. You know that. They're like consistent. New York Times, five stars. You know, name a paper, four or five stars it got. What did that Speed Racer get? Uh, no. I can't remember suddenly. <laughs> oh, it's a good thing that the internet's down. I can't look that up. <laughs> I can. I have 3G. Ah. Anywho. Um, so, tell me, Callum, what score will you give Weird? Five out of ten. And why are you giving it five out of ten? Well, the, the, the aforementioned problems, the familiarity, the staginess, the fact it's sort of blocked and paced quite sluggishly. But you have moments like Daniel Radcliffe, very good. Um, Weird Al's inputs. Very, very uh, appreciated. Uh, so it has some of the, the fun and the silliness, so it saves it from being like a three or a four, uh, but it is just a bit too stodgy to be anything better than a five. Okay. And I'm going to give it a six, just because I think it's funny. I think it's a worthwhile 90 minutes. It made me laugh. Overall, I enjoyed it. But it's not like it's three stars. It's not. It can't be anything more than a three-star movie in anyone's world. Um, I think the only reason I really give it six star six out of ten is because of Daniel Radcliffe because I just like him. Um, but yeah, and a futile and stupid gesture. Well, again, that's uh, five out of ten. And uh, I think for this reason, it's a more disappointed five out of ten because the moments of brilliance flare up, and you want the movie to be that, but then it just falls down into again a familiar pattern. And, you know, it even has the disapproving dad, wrong kid died, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you just kind of wanted it to be as weird and as mad and as ambitious as the magazine is telling the story of. And it's just unfortunate that it just falls down on those same hurdles. Um, and it's a five out of ten. It's a heavy hearted five out of ten. And for you? I'm also going to still give it a six out of ten. Uh, and again, similar reasons to the first movie. It was enough there for me to enjoy. I feel like any film that I enjoy. Um, and and I did, again, the lead character was well acted. Pretty much all the characters were well acted. It was solid all the way through. It was just inconsistent. And like you say, the highs were really high. But I didn't think the lows were really low. I thought the lows were fine-ish, just about. So, you know, it's watchable. So, yeah, it is. Six out of ten. Uh, so we've given both films five and a half out of ten. Yep. Um, yeah, exciting times. So yeah, that is the second time we've recorded that podcast, and it better have not have broken this time. And this is goodbye from us for this week. Yes, we'll see you around, and the next one is going to be a humdinger with our first guest. Well, I don't know if this will be the next one. Well, hang around for that one if, if it isn't the next one. Yeah, I think we might keep that to the second week of December. Yeah, stick around, folks. <laughs> stick around. It gets better, I promise. If we say, if you say so. <laughs> I don't know. Tonally, you might get whiplash from the episode, but we'll find out. We'll see what certainly you think. find out. <laughs> Thanks a lot, guys, Thanks. and have a lovely week. Bye. Bye.
loser. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.